Double G from the Fight Game Podcast and Fight Game Media here. For you Karate Kid fans, Chris DePetrillo and I are back this week to review the last film in our series, The Next Karate Kid. Yes, the Hillary Swank one. It will be on our Patreon first, but will also be in this feed, the Fight Game Media Network, later this week. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our Patreon because you're going to receive two new podcasts exclusive to our Patreon, where Chris and I break down the newest season of Cobra Kai, which drops on Netflix on New Year's Day. We're going to go over the first half of the season and then the second half of the season in two separate shows. We also have reviews of the first three seasons of Cobra Kai, as well as great breakdowns of the first three Karate Kid films in our archives. And you may even find out some information you didn't know about Daniel-san and company. Head over patreon.com front slash fight game media. Write that, write that down, write that, write that down, write that down, write that down. Yo, it's Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com, writer at WrestlingObserver.com, F4WOnline.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. This is Write That Down. This week, Fumi and I will bring you a show we did covering the year 1972. Okay, let me explain. In March 1972, March 6, actually, Antonio Inoki, New Japan Pro Wrestling, who had just led a small kind of insurrection out of JWA and he'd wrestle the god of pro wrestling Carl Gotch at New Japan's first ever live event later that year in October on the 21st 1972 Shohei Baba Giant Baba would then pull out from this crumbling JWA Japan Wrestling Association promotion later in the same year opting to form his own company, All Japan Pro Wrestling. And like I said, October 21st, 1972 was their first year. New Japan starts in 1972. All Japan starts in 1972. This was a huge year for Japanese pro wrestling. So for this week's Write That Down, Fumi and I focus primarily on this year, this tumultuous year, 1972, and why it's historic when it comes to Japanese pro wrestling. I'm Justin Nipper from Fight Game Media and Wrestling Observer Online, and I'm back with Japan's leading wrestling author and historian, Mr. Fumi Saito. Welcome back. Hello from Tokyo. So today's topic, we have a kind of interesting, a new topic. We, it's not a person we're covering today or a company. We're going to cover the year 1972. Okay. Yeah. So, can we, can you explain why this is such an important year in Japanese pro wrestling? Uh, this is 1972 was a year Antonio Inoki started New Japan Pro Wrestling and Jan Baba started his All, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm. Same year. So it, it's a big one. Yeah, I think so. Because there, uh, yeah, we have we have to learn first that there was company Nippon Pro Wrestling, or mm-hmm. JWA, uh, up until then. And uh, there was maybe uh, today's fan, you know, like Giant Baba, Antonio Inoki, both ancient, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, 
yeah. kind of yeah yeah but they're, they're the pioneer of pro, you know japanese pro wrestling but there was a big master of pro wrestling before that his, his name is ricky dozan the father of japanese pro wrestling mm. yeah and uh the, the, he had his company between 1974 to uh up until his death his, he died in 1963 you know he was stabbed by uh, you know uh per, you know he stabbed and got you know killed basically and uh he died ricky, the father of pro wrestling ricky dozen died 1963 but it's another that's another sub big subject for another day okay right mm. and after his death december of 1963 japan pro wrestling well japan pro wrestling, not the ricky choshu's 1984 japan pro wrestling but the nippon pro wrestling jwa okay that company remained and all the way till 1970 three basically but uh, in 1972 Antonio Inoki starts his New Japan Pro Wrestling and Jan Baba starts 1972 in October same year the reason was that the previous year 1971 Antonio Inoki tried to conduct this uh, the reformation within the company that you know that uh, basically the old company JWA was run by old you know older wrestler promoter Yoshino Sato, the uh, Michiaki Yoshimura, the you know Kokichi Endo, the, all those previous generation people, and they had network channel, channel four, okay? But uh, Inoki tried to, you know, the, the, they didn't know, you know it's like the wrestlers were un unhappy that they didn't know where money was going because they're drawing well, they got the network money and all these things, and Inoki, young Inoki at that, like 30 years old, he tried to, you know, change the company structure, ended up getting kicked out of the company as of December of 1971. Okay. Then uh, has a, he has this press conference of January of 1972, uh, announcing his form, formation of new company. That is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Okay. Because the same reason that the, that the Baba was behind, you know, like with Inoki, you know, in this company restructuring things and clear all the other paperwork and all the monies are going and all these, you know, top wrestlers who are unhappy about where money are going and they're drawing, you know, good house, uh, you know, 250, you know, house shows a year and network channel money and all these things, you know, that the company must be making a lot of money, but they weren't so sure. Up until then, Inoki, both Inoki and Baba are basically employee of the wrestling company, right? Top stars, though. But uh, uh, because of the Inoki's method, and they uh, felt that uh, the, some some of these people felt that it was like a coup d'état of Inoki, and then they they fell apart, and uh, the company decided to fire him, basically. Okay. And the four wrestlers, you know, went with Inoki. Inoki. Okay, and Kotetsu Yamamoto, and very young, 19-year-old Tatsumi Fujinami, and Osamu Kido. Those four wrestlers, that's it. And they didn't think they were, you know, he was going to make it. Okay. Then, February of 1972, Inoki went to Philadelphia to meet up, meet up with Carl Gotch. At the time, Carl, of all places, he was working for WWWF, God of Wrestling, you know, and WWE doesn't, <laughs> match together huh too well no right? it doesn't sound doesn't uh, sound like it but you uh, don't expect it yeah but at the time he was wwwf tag team champions his partner was rene goulet 
you know, and was traveling East Coast, you mm-hmm. know, that the, maybe today's fan doesn't even know what WWWF was, you know. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah please, please explain. W that the the very basic foundation of w, today's WWE was founded, you know, uh, formed in, back in 1973 with Vince, you know, Vince McMahon Senior, Vincent James McMahon, right? That company up until 1982s. Today's Vince McMahon buying his father's company, all these things, you know, that the WWWF was this big East Coast territory in New York, the Washington DC, the Boston, the Philadelphia, the uh, you know, East Coast, big territory. And of all places, Carl Gotch, God of wrestling, you know, like a, today's, you know, fan, even the, the one who studies, you know, history of wrestling, Carl Gotch, like a complete catches, catch can, shoot style, this and that, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. but he was also pro wrestler, of course. And there's a good footage in, in, in uh, so some people found very recently that uh, in, on YouTube, um, Carl Gotch ran the as a WWF tag team champion against a rugged Russian, you know, and uh, it's a real good footage that, uh, did I send you the link before? Mm-mm, I've never okay. seen that. Oh, God's sake. Carl Gotch's image kind of changes after watching that, you know, video because he's doing American style working match, like a really happy baby face type, you know? Yeah, and by the 1970s, the style in Japan versus the style in the States was very different by then. Uh, not really. You don't think so? No. In WWF, the, the wrestling style, I think it was pretty different. No, I WWF think- was a completely old-fashioned American pro wrestling. And 1971, Japanese wrestling was pretty good American style, too. Hmm. Yeah, there was no Japanese against Japanese. It always Japanese That's right. babyface against Japan, American heels. And Baba Inoki is a tag team champion, international tag team champions. By the way, it's the same very physical championship belt still being used by today's All Japan Pro Wrestling. Amazing, huh? 50 mm-hmm. years later, that yep. rusty international tag team belt, you know, <laughs> is still being used. This is amazing. Small. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, no, style wasn't different, no. Uh, it was more similar than today, I think. Okay, so Inoki, he went to Philadelphia to meet Carl Gotch in this interesting point in Gotch's career. Yeah, so. and also, it wasn't the first because Inoki was Carl Gotch's student, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carl Gotch previously lived in Japan um, between 1968 and 1969, about a year and a half, to be the coach for Japan Pro Wrestling, JWA. He lived in mm. Japan and coached a lot of wrestlers, you know, not just Inoki and his guys, but the Baba and other guys. And Inoki taught, uh, I mean, Korgach taught Inoki how to do the German suplex and uh, octopus hold and all these things, you know. And uh, yeah, and Inoki was looking for American help, like an agent, uh, rep- American representative to help his new company, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm. You know, because Inoki opening up a new company and what are you going to need? You're going to need the foreign, you know, American wrestlers, you know? And, uh, yeah, um, he went to, see, John Baba always had this big, huge connection with American, you know, wrestling industry in general. Because he traveled in, you know, the early 60s and, and okay, we'll, we'll talk about Baba a little bit later. Okay, Inoki went to, mm. okay? All right, Inoki went to 
meet with Carl Gotch and offered him him position. Please help me. This is I'm opening up a new company, and uh, that's when they came up with the uh, that the idea of strong style, the original strong style. I wanna, you know, he wanted to. Inoki had vision to make this into the, the, his image of what pro wrestling should be, and Carl Gotch was the epitome, and he is the image. Well, then he was already 47, you know, the Korogach. And really? that was, yeah, that was the last time he really traveled and, you know, had his full-time wrestling, you know, gig. And uh, of all places, he was working for WWE, WWF, and was ta- being a tag team champion, babyface, you know. Great Korogach from Germany and great René Goulet from France, you know, like European tag team type. Babyface, mm. and they sat down, and uh, Inoki explained, and Korogach uh, um, said, "Yes, let's do this." And uh, basically, Korogach quit WWE right then, and then and start work, you know, booking, you know, try to find guys to you know go to Japan, and and uh, he himself worked, you know, as a wrestler. And uh, March of 1972, New Japan officially started. With Ota Gymnasium, just like the Ota, you know, Ota Taikan, they still have at the mm-hmm. not the same building they rebuilt it, but the basic same location, the Ota World Gymnasium. They start this opening card March of 1972. The main event was Antonio Inoki against Korgach single. There was no championship belt, but uh, Inoki against Korgach was just enough to have this main event, the opening card of this new company and uh, without TV, yeah. Um, there's a footage, so that footage exists. And I, I, I've watched it, it's, it's a fi- movie film, you know. You can still find it somewhere on YouTube. Um, some of them are clips, some of my entire match, some of them being erased and got popped up again. And it's, it's not really official, you know. So somebody, you know, has been putting up the, the footage up on YouTube. You know, we have to find it. But anyhow, mm-hmm. there was a Inoki against Korogach opening match. Inoki lost to Korogach. Very good booking, you know, because you don't want to win an opening match. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he really didn't lose too much after that. No, no. To beat Inoki one to three in the middle of the ring, it's, it becomes inspi- next to impossible pretty soon. <laughs> and it makes uh, Carl Gotch seem like the real wrestling pro wrestling god yeah yeah Yeah. uh pro wrestling uh god of wrestling nickname doesn't come another six months to a year back then he was uncrowned champion (laughs) mukan no teo you know uncrowned king or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh but this 47 year old korgat still had this fantastic match and it really became the new japan style you know that uh very clean you know, no interference. Uh, you wrestle, and you wrestle like Karagachi and Inoki, and, and uh, yeah, uh, that was the beginning of it. So Inoki was able to open the company. Back to Jan Baba. See, Jan Baba was initially part of this, you know, that uh, cleaning up the Nippon Pro Wrestling, JWA company, previous year, 1971. But uh, they uh, something happens, and... Uh, uh, it, Baba uh, in the middle of the plan that he didn't go with Inoki's plan, you know, and uh, somebody, you know, there was a mall and, and there's like a leaking of information and this it became internal turmoil thing within Nippon Pro Wrestling. And in the middle of it, 
Inoki was fired and Baba was already a board director then, but he resigned, you know, and he remained with company for another six months or so, but uh, he decided to leave this old company because he did not want to fire the seniors. So I'm going to leave completely and then start my own company. That was Baba's way. And Nippon TV Channel 4 decided to go with Baba's plan, leaving the old Nippon TV without television. Without net network television's budget, they went down quick, you know? And uh, John Baba starts his own company. Announced, he announced his uh, leaving old Nippon, you know, Nippon Pro Wrestling, JWA, as of July. And uh, he said, well, I'll remain working until the end of July, but I'm leaving. But believe it or not, um, as of 1972, that the reason Baba could leave this company so easily was that there was no such thing as contract then. So mm. old fashioned, huh? Like almost primitive. Yeah, uh, yeah like uh, just a handshake deal. Yeah, and then also the people, they didn't think the you know, wrestler would leave. This was original Ricky Dozen's company and a lot of the customs, a lot of the uh, dealing or, or the not dealing or the, the lot of the business method was taken from like a sumo industry and uh, mm-hmm. they never had written contract or anything like that for wrestlers up until then and Baba looked at it and he's leaving you know they leave, leave everybody behind and the only wrestler he took was uh, Samson Kutsuada and a couple of other guys and also Mashio Koma and Motoshi Okuma, who was working in Amarillo, Texas at the time. And they came back and joined. And uh, only and the Thunder Sugiyama from IWE, they, you know, he straighted, you know. Uh, anyhow, that uh, Baba also starts his own company with maybe like five guys, five guys. But uh, he traveled back and forth uh, all summer to negotiate the deal with all the, you know, all these, you know, very powerful promoters like uh, the, the Amarillo, Texas, um, Dory Funk Sr., you know, Dory Funk Jr.'s father, of course, uh, and Harley Race was there, of course. And also he had, a you know, in, in Hawaii, he and the Sheik, the original Sheik met and uh, negotiated a deal. And all these powerful promoters in, in America at the time, um, they decided to you know help Baba, and the very first tour of all Japan was October of 1972. He had guys like Bruno Sammartino on it, Freddie Blassie, Dory Funk Senior, Terry Funk, Terry Funk, Dominic Denucci. He just passed away a little bit. Right? That's right. And well, uh, Scott, uh, that uh, quite a few. Just uh, name talent right away, and he already had the. Channel 4, Nippon Television deal, you know, right from the get-go. And also the family of Ricky Doza, Momota family, gave Jan Barber that Luthes design belt, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gave Barber that belt, and that uh, six months later becomes today's PWF Heavyweight Championship. Does that make sense? And it's still, uh, we saw it a couple months ago at that... Uh... Oh, yeah, Japan. yeah, that physical oh, championship show. belt from yeah, like a fifty years ago. Oh my gosh, the championship belts are very symbolic and very important, don't you think? I like championship belt. Do you? Yeah, I mean, you got <laughs> it's the legacy too, you know. And yeah, yeah, and then the know, same example, guys, yeah, wearing us in the physical same belt with their sweat, you know, the all kinds of sweat on it, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's got a 
piece of history. Yeah, it. definitely, definitely. And uh, the championship belt itself traveled around the world, you know, mm-hmm. with wrestlers mm-hmm. who's wearing it. And yeah, it's like an artifact. Yeah, yeah, in the suitcase, their suitcase, or being on airplane, or being on the bullet train, or being in the hotel room, the belt means a lot, you know. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, Inoki started uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in, in March of 1972. Not so financially successful, but uh, that was Inoki's idea of what wrestling should be, and this is going to be the you know, a very tough year without the television without much of help, outside help from America industry. And Karagachi was the only person who's helping it, but the Inoki was going to build his own kingdom. Same time, so, yeah. So how did Inoki create a buzz for New Japan without television in 72? Without television? Well, Inoki mm-hmm. was already a major star with Nippon Pro Wrestling. There was a two stars, mm-hmm. like actually mm-hmm. like a four stars, you know, Giant Baba, Antonio Inoki, Kintaro Oki, another name, Kim Il from Korea, and Seiji Sakaguchi, you know, mm. four guys that are on top, basically. And Baba had an international heavyweight title. Inoki had his single title, UN, United National Title, which is also part of today's Triple Crown, right? Mm. And Inoki Baba together, they had international tag team title, and they got the Asian tag team title. They still have that. Uh, all Japan, you know, still enjoy that now. It's the same legacy, and all the way to today's champions. But the Sakaguchi had that tag team title, and Kintaro Oki had the all Asian tag team uh, singles and tag team title. Anyhow, that so when they were there was a time Baba and Inoki were together. You know. Okay. Wait. Pause. Hold on a second. Before we get to the next segment on the show, I have an ask for you, for the listener. Okay, well, two asks. If you are listening to us for the first time, think about hitting that subscribe button. Please. You can always unsubscribe in the future. But listen, But if you subscribe, you'll get multiple shows uploaded directly to your app weekly. And we think you'll like what you hear. If you're already listening, we think you'll like what you hear. And secondly, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us five-star rating. It's very simple to do, and it's so beneficial for us as we attempt to climb through the podcast rankings, dig through that SEO, or not SEO, the algorithms. You know, this makes me sound old, SEO algorithms. I'm using the terms improperly. In order to grow within the podcast ecosystem, we need these five stars. It's much appreciated. I'll shut up now. Let's get back to write that down. Uh, between 1967 to 1971, for about five, six year period, Inoki and Baba were the greatest tag team ever. And that was on television. And mm-hmm. both guys ended up leaving in two different reasons. But uh, yeah, as so of end of 1971, Baba's heart was not in it. It was this old company. Inoki's heart was not in it, and he was trying. You know, he was trying to change the company from inside. Ended up getting kicked out. And Baba, a little bit more, um, I don't know, businessman like that. He was gonna change it, but not Inoki's way. So he stayed with his company for six months. But I don't want to fire these older dudes. So. I'm going to leave this company completely and start from I mean, scratch. And Nippon TV Channel 4 decided to go with Giant Baba instead of this old farts. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at this time, would you say Baba was more 
popular than Inoki in 72? Or were they about the same? Or uh, Actually, Baba was running, you know, ahead, always, always running ahead. And Inoki was a clear number two to chase him. That made him the most popular. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like underdog feeling. Yeah, I mean, like a Tenru chasing... Tenru chasing Jumbo Tsurura. Right. Yeah, and, and everyone at the arena actually cheering for Tenru. But you needed Jumbo to be that, you know? Mm. Yeah. So as an international heavyweight champion, which was top title inherited from Ricky Dozan, and for about seven, eight-year period, Baba was the main guy for Nippon Pro Wrestling. You know, every, every champion class uh, type from America, you know, Bruno San Martino, WWF champion at the time, he he was brought in to have a title match. He's not defending WWF title. Instead, Bruno San Martino challenging Giant Baba's international heavyweight title. Same thing happened with Gene Kaniski at the time. Gene Kaniski comes in 67 and 68. He had NWA World Heavyweight Championship on his waist. He wasn't defending his title. He was challenging. Baba's international heavyweight title. You name Boba Brazil to your Don Leo Jonathan to Dick Baia Destroyer to Welbo Snyder to every, Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, every single superstar from every territory traveled to Japan one time or another and challenged Baba. And Baba always defended his title successfully. That's mm-hmm. big, right? And wasn't it true on the other side? It's kind of like Baba was the representative when he would uh, go to the States and wrestle. He would be the company's uh, guy who would wrestle for the NWA title. He was the representative. Pretty much, pretty much. Well, he never really challenged NWA title. Well, not, well, he challenged Luthes, you know, while he was traveling full time, you know. And he had a match against people like Bali Rogers too, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, Baba was a friend of Pat O'Connor. You know, all these promoter, superstar, champion type of 60s, Baba was really tight. So he, was, mm-hmm. he had no problem opening up his own company. Right away, as of January of 73, he got the membership. He, tra- you know, he traveled to St. Louis, met, met up with Sam Machinik, and overnight, he was NWA member. Membership was issued to him. Mm. Another, so a, yeah, another an official reason. feeling. Oh yeah, official feeling, and also people, you know, well, basically Japanese wrestling fans so reading oriented, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And uh, what the, the magazine doesn't become weekly until summer of '83. All the magazine was still monthly, like when I was a little kid. But I read all those, you know, monthly thick magazine, front to back to front to back, back and forth, back. Every little paragraph I read it because it only comes out once a month, you know. Mm. And uh, magazine was really, really big thing. And also you watch, you know, uh, this network televisions, primetime wrestling every week. And New Japan, I mean, uh, that uh, Nippon, Pro Wrestling, JWA, old company, they had two channels and two different nights, uh, two different uh, primetime wrestling every week. Channel 4, Nippon TV, and Channel 10 TV Asahi. That eventually became All Japan's program and New Japan's programming, eventually. Mm-hmm. So it was like, a, it was almost like a time bomb that, that, uh, 
the one company had two different network channels every week, you know, Friday night and Monday night, Friday night and sometimes Wednesday night, both primetime network. And Giant Baba only appears on channel four, you know, and everybody else, including Inoki, appears on channel 10's TV Asahi's primetime world pro wrestling TV show. You start scratching your head. Why isn't Baba on the other channel? Right. Yeah, pretty soon. It became, it was like a time bomb that whomever had television, you will become major company, huh? Seems that way. TV really started to shift how people perceived what was going on. Yeah, and then at the time, 1970, you know, 1971, 1972's economy, they were paying some 50, you know, 50 grand every week to the company, TV rights. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a 50 grand, 50 grand, 50 grand, 50. that's like 200,000, right? That means like you, that the station is paying over $2 million annually, just TV rights in 1970s money. How many people had televisions in their home around this time? Oh, everybody. 1970s though, right? Yeah. So, of course. So everybody had the- color TV by then. See, television boom is like 1948. 1950s black and white tv okay there was a war there was a war 1945 the war's over you know that the 1941 pearl harbor 1945 hiroshima and narasaki the war's over and then then you have to start from scratch, right? This, you know, the whole country, the, the GHQ general headquarters, all these things, and Ricky Dozen's wrestling and all these things. And first thing after the war, the first technology was, you know, television. So it, the, the te- television was huge by 1950s, okay? In 1970s, everybody already had color television. Yeah. So wrestling was really digging itself into society by this point. It was a big deal. Oh, it was a big part of society in Ricky Dozen era. Ricky Dozen made television popular and television made wrestling popular. Yeah. Can I say it one more time? Rick, Ricky Dozen made television very popular and television made Ricky Dozen very popular. You know, it goes both ways. You know, kind of like mm-hmm. a gorgeous George, Mr. Television. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of codependent relationship. They need each other. And also, people watched more TV then than now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because there was no internet. You know, and then the television was the greatest thing in your home. Everybody had one TV set in their living room. And the, some of the house don't didn't have television. So it's a neighbor will come over and, uh, can I watch baseball? Can I watch sumo? Um, like... Like that happened in the States too. Can I come over to watch Isla Lucy? Mm-hmm. Dick mm-hmm. Van Dyke. You know? Yeah, social gathering. Social yeah, yeah. Event. Then the first television superstar in America was also a professional wrestler, Gorgeous George, Coast mm-hmm. of the, uh, Toast of the Coast, Mr. Television on black and white TV. But even on black and white TV, you can see his fancy costume and blonde hair. He was made for TV, huh? Uh, yeah, uh, but was uh, the, according to Ruth S., he wasn't a bad wrestler. He could wrestle, you know, hmm. but very Hollywood, you know. And yeah. later, later on, you know, the Hollywood didn't have much influence in wrestling industry you know, as a whole. But uh, in 1950s, 
that Hollywood Hollywood Legion Stadium or something that the, the station carried the network station carried wrestling and there was like a three or four nights a week they were wrestling in America from Chicago you know from New York from LA yeah it's like television was an easy one to produce actually all you have to do is one camera and put that on an arena and you just broadcast it like a sport mm-hmm. yeah but same thing Ricky Dozan was an instance of course he was a great wrestler and great superstar but the television people were interested in you know what television is it's a little box that you can put it in your house and that you can watch movie at home kind of thing <laughs> you know what i mean 1970s mm. yeah 1950s mentality and Novelty. Uh, yeah and it was the greatest thing yeah that the bob hope right <laughs> all those people yeah and the rest so, was the same thing but by 70s it became color tv it's like a second set tv that you have so by this time, you mentioned that Baba, he had the relationship with NTV, but you also mentioned that, you know, he had the relationship with TV Asahi. But they so, didn't have it until spring of 1973. He had, ah. to, he had to survive the whole year because the old Nippon Pro Wrestling was still around. Sakaguchi on top and Kintaro Oki, the people like a great Kojika, Umanosuke Ueda, the, you know, the rest who didn't go with Inoki Obaba, they were still there, about 10 guys. And they felt they were safe because they had TV. Uh-uh, not quick. That Not so quick. That the TV Asahi people were considering dropping them, you know? Really? Yeah, because hmm. there's no TV ratings. Inoki leaving, Baba leaving, it's the skeleton, and uh, you, you still have that. It's a television that the ratings going down right and that's when sakaguchi seiji sakaguchi started having this the, the personal meeting with inoki in tokyo restaurant to combine and join you know and, and uh, sakaguchi would become one of the top well, inoki's top guys in the company later on right and also uh actual individual who ran the company Mm. Inoki is a superstar and he was a president, but he shouldn't be running company. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. That uh, he needed uh, his lieutenant, you know, the Sakaguchi was the one. Did it work that way with All Japan and Baba? Did he have a lieutenant? Nope. He and Mrs. Baba. Ah. Uh, so you know? D- uh, different d- dynamic. Different. Yeah, it was of, completely uh... different dynamic, dynamic. But then again, if you realize... All these 60s and 70s American territory was family run. Vern Gagne's family, the Sheik family, Dick the Bruiser family. In Florida, Eddie Graham's family, Tennessee, all the, you know, the, the Jerry Jarrett's relatives, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, Von Eriks, Blanchers, you know, that, that's a basically all the Mike, uh, Mike, uh, LaBelle and his family from LA. Uh, LA, yeah. Yeah, and then Don Owen and his family in Oregon. Mm-hmm. See? And Stu Hart in Canada. And Calgary, of course. Yeah. So basically, a lot of the big territory, though, and pretty healthy, big business. But a lot of times, wrestling business was run by one family in one territory. Family business style, really not like a, a typical Japanese company. 
you are talking about the corporate Japanese corporate. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, corporate but, uh, structure. If, yeah, uh, but the Japanese companies still had this kazoku thing, no? Kind of like a family feeling. Yeah, and family, family owned. Structure. Family owned. You know, your mm-hmm. your grandpa was doing it. You're doing it. Your sons mm-hmm. are doing it. You know. Yeah. So like a trade. Yeah. So this is two ways to do it. And then uh, mm-hmm. uh, Inoki's New Japan, yeah, will always be run like a corporate, you know, structure. Mm-hmm. And TV Asahi's influence too, because they had stock in it, you know. And uh, Giant Baba, uh, yeah, they were str- strong influence on Channel Four Nippon TV. But at the same time, this day-to-day business of All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, you know, running tours and running shows and running locker room and you know, uh, traveling and, and, and staying hotel and all those things, you know, that was run like a family business. And mm-hmm. Mrs. Bob, Mr. and Mrs. Baba never had their own kids, but all the wrestlers were like their children. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Seems like that, yeah. yeah. But uh, so Inoki had to survive the, the year of 1972 o- o- on his own without television, you know, very um, risky, you know, it's like a almost low budget and no name American, you know, but Luthas, you know. And I mean, I, I was a big wrestling fan, but I did not recognize any American that were working for them, you know, New Japan at the time. So go, who are these people? You know, <laughs> American wrestlers, you know, the Drango Brothers or this and that. And some of the wrestlers from Europe that they were friends of, you know, Karagachi's, you know. And then Karagachi wasn't much a promoter himself, that uh, he had connection, of course, like a personal connection, like a wrestler friends and their sons, you know, all the people they worked with. But uh, he wasn't exactly NWA affiliate or AWA affiliate or anything like that. So he had to handpick his friends from you know from different places, from South, from Europe, from England, all these things. And uh, Sakaguchi felt that this company is going down. That uh, you know Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. and the TV Asahi people came to Sakaguchi. You know, you we are not renewing the contract as of next spring. If things are like this, you lost Inoki, you lost Baba, and the TV ratings going down, and you're not running a lot of the show. And at the time, boys are paying, getting paid late too, you know. Mm. And that's a big sign of companies, you know, like a, you know, like a sinking boat, huh? It seems like it's the same kind of pattern in the past with a yeah. lot of those companies that have success and then they fade away. Yeah. So Inoki and Sakaguchi had a meeting, you know, Inoki 1972 version of New Japan wasn't as successful as later on. But in the Sakaguchi sensing this sinking ship, you know, like, we should join Inoki and Sakaguchi will make the network channel. Oh, definitely, huh? Hmm. And, and it, hmm. New Japan and Nippon Pro Wrestling was going to, you know, merge, but that plan did not happen that the Kintaro Oki at the international champion at the time, and also he was ahead of the wrestlers' union. I mean, there was a union. Uh, he said, no way we're going with Inoki. So they decided to go on their own, even after they lost the television. You know, eight guys still, you know, like, so there was a one at one point four companies. Japan, you know, Nippon Pro Wrestling, Inoki's in New Japan, Baba's Old Japan and IW Independence, like four different wow. companies. Oh my gosh, in 1972, it's like too much, right? But uh, uh, this Inoki and Sakaguchi combined in the margin into one company, that, that thing didn't work. 
So Sakaguchi still decided to leave. Okay, well, I promised Inokyu I'm joining him, you know. So I'm going, I'm leaving. And four wrestlers, Seiji Sakaguchi and Masashi Ozawa, later on he becomes Killer Khan, right? Mm. And uh, Kengo Kimura and Daigoro Oshiro, the four wrestlers joined Sakaguchi and migrated just on their own into New Japan as of April of 1973. And following week, t- television, TV Asahi, uh, Friday night Eroka program moved to New Japan and dumped Nippon Pro Wrestling. Interesting. And that was huh? pretty much it for for Nippon Pro Wrestling. That was yeah, kind yeah. Of a... But the Nippon Pro Wrestling had uh, you know ten wrestlers who wanted to not retired and uh, you know still want to work and uh, no place to work and uh, you know uh, that's when like uh, some of the guys decided to move to America and, or you know do something and uh, Nippon television channel four people approached giant Baba let's pick up all these eight guys and Baba said that was the very reason he became you know, quit and became independent <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, with Nippon TV channel four's influence those uh, ex Nippon pro wrestling guys ten guys signed a contract with channel four and channel four is sending all Giants Baba's all Japan those eight wrestlers. Then Baba said, you know, like uh, reluctantly agreed with this, you know, idea. Okay, okay, all right, we'll take these guys, but never use them in main event course. You know, yeah. You mentioned one was Kojika, Great Kojika. Yeah, Great Kojika was among them, but he. Um, he was able to march, and uh, eventually he became part of all Japan. Yes, he still sometimes gets in the ring and wrestles. Big Japan, yes. Seventy-eight yeah. year old Great Kojika, right? Oh, he had a long career. He was America's heavyweight champion in LA, beating Mel Mascaros. You know, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Kojika and Sakaguchi was tag team champion in Detroit, and uh, also as a Kung Fu Lee. Uh, he went, lead. Mm. Yeah, he went back to Amarillo and beat Terry Funk to become uh, Western State Heavyweight Champion or something like that. So he had a very interesting career. And mm. there was one, um, uh, Akihisa Takachiho, young guy uh, who joined All Japan at the time from Nippon Pro Wrestling. He later on became great Kabuki. Ah. Yeah. Then by then, you had, Baba had his golden rookie Jumbo Tsuruda at the end of 72, he was going to be the you know, new star right out of right off Munich Olympic and uh, was sent to, you know, Dory Funk's place to learn, learn the craft. And we went over that story. You know, he had a, you know, you know, lived apartment right next to Stan, young Stan Hansen and they became friends and worked eight months and uh, then they came back as a pretty much main event guy from the day one. Yeah. And that's right. You mentioned Munich. That 1972 was also the year of the Munich Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And around that time, yeah, the following year, another Olympic wrestler, Mitsuo Yoshida, joined New Japan, who later on mm. becomes Ricky Choshu. Very mm. interesting, huh? Nice, uh, really interesting way of thinking about just that year. There was a lot that happened that year. Yeah, and then the old, yeah, and all the bad old Apple, you know, old, you know, thing has to come to an end 
And uh, to be able to become the king, two kings in the Japanese wrestling industry, that Inoki had to start his New Japan, Baba had to start his Old Japan Pro Wrestling, both had their own guys and own connection with American you know, wrestling promoters and had their own rookie set of rookies. They started in New Japan, had their own dojo, and Baba started his own dojo, an Old Japan dojo. And it's just like, right, there. They needed these two big companies. I mean, two sets of two major companies. And following spring, that the Nippon Pro Wrestling went down for good. Yeah. So by by the mid seventies, it was basically the two New Japan and All Japan. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, New Japan being on channel uh, channel ten. Now it's channel five, but the, at the time channel ten, TV Asahi and Baba always had channel four Nippon TV. Nittere. Now, so it was easy to see, though, like American League and National League. Oh yeah, that, that's a good way. To, that's a good analogy. It's an yeah, easy way to yeah. think of it. Yeah. Oh, that's how I was looking at it, you know, because baseball had a Central League and the Pacific League, you know, and Major League Baseball have American League and National League, and it's two different products. Inoki beat everybody up every week. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he beats so, everybody. And what uh, would you say the main uh, stylistic differences between the two companies were? If you had to describe uh, what they when were doing I was in the like 70s. a much much younger, you know, mm-hmm. Inoki's wrestling is real, and Giant Baba was show show business. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, as you grow up, it was not. I mean, it's not that it's, it's actually same professional wrestling, right? Right, but. Uh, the way they sold the products or the way it looked was that Inoki's matches and the way he did things looked a lot more serious. Okay. Mm. And Inoki's, you know, opponents were initially Carl Gotch or real aged Luthes uh, or people like Billy Robinson and, you know, the where you can, they can wrestle Inoki, right? Whereas, mm. Giant Baba had your funks, the hurry race, the you know male maskers, the every single superstar you see on, on you can see on magazines that comes over, you know, you know, and then have a the style of matches that you expect, you know, the babyface American will work babyface like, and heel American will work like a heel, of course, you know, exactly what you see on magazine like the Hollywood stars coming. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you could say that all Japan was had more of an American spirit, American style. Oh God! And uh, the, the people, some some of these reading oriented fans loved all Japan because of it. NWA World Heavyweight Champion coming, you know, from Jack Briscoe to Harley Race to Terry Funk when he had it, and uh, different haircut, hairstyle, Harley Race coming over, coming back. Or every single NWA like guys, you know, uh, will be traveling in, in, to Baba. And, and like I said, whomever worked like a babyface will be working like a babyface. And whomever's heel, that we all know that that's a big, big bad guy from America, that, that he'll be working like a bad guy. Whereas mm-hmm. it's what's interesting, like, you know, people like a Pedro Morales, mm-hmm. you know, former WWF champion from like a. Like a Puerto Rican descent type, that the mm-hmm. total, total babyface in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you read that on magazine. But for some reason, when he comes over to New Japan, 
he started working like a hero all of a sudden. It's like a, I scratched my head. It's like, a, it's not Pedro Morales that I expected, you know? Mm. And he's running in, 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 in Inoki's match and start choking Inoki like a bad guys would do. Wait a minute, you know? For New Japan's Inoki style, Inoki is like 100% babyface who would beat everybody, right? Mm-hmm. That any American star that would come over, Inoki would beat him. You know what I'm saying? And treat yeah. like a heel. But basically, that, besides that, uh, basically, all year long, it was Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh on, on the one hand. On the other hand, it was all year long, Giant Baba against Abdul the Butcher. Kind of similar. Yeah, and hindsight, we were watching the same method. Oh my gosh, Mm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was getting sick of Tiger Jit Singh Young because it's like almost like every other tour he's on it, you know? Yeah, and uh, he didn't really wrestle. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of the same finish mostly. Every time, always and, some kind uh, of. Uh, I be, and then also, television in 1970s, early 70s, had a different standard. They were showing bloody wrestling match on network television on eight o'clock at night, prime time. I mean, today's television will never show that much blood. No way. You know what I'm saying? Especially all Japan, yeah. Oh, Abdul the Butcher, Abdul the Butcher, my God, and sometimes and- Yashik or King Curtis, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Kirito, Kamata, or just all these yeah, bloody guys. Oh yeah, Terry Funk does that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so uh, it's like they they were showing something really bloody you know, on network television prime time. Baba Inoki both, you know, Inoki bled a lot, lot too against Tiger Jeet Singh. See, they did Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh so much that sometimes Lamberjack match, sometimes oil death match, sometimes the, the fence around the ring so nobody can interfere. It's just, all these things, and then tag team version of it with Manosuke Ueda in it. And uh, yeah, they had to come up with all these different things, you know, to maintain this Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh program. Whereas Giant Baba used, you know, Abdul the Butcher a little bit more wisely because uh, there was a Dick Buyer Destroyer against the Butcher program, right? Jumbo against Abdul the Butcher program. Billy Robinson against Butcher program. You know, eventually Abdul the Butcher had program with pretty much every single star in the roster. I mean, a lot of mileage, right? Mm. Yeah. And uh, this is just different method. Friday night, you watch Inoki. Saturday night, you watch Jan Baba. That's that was my childhood. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel I I don't know if this is correct, but it felt like a, Inoki's in New Japan. It felt like it had more of a maybe like a martial arts feeling compared with all Japan. There was a lot more of what you see. I guess what you you would call MMA today. You'd see more uh, of a that real quote. That cool, doesn't cool, start style. until after 76. That does not what? start until after 1976. So what was the uh, the catalyst for that? 1976? What? Yes. Antonio, Antonio Inoki against Muhammad Ali. Ah, okay, okay, okay. The, the mixed idea came yeah, from yeah. this and entire, also, I see. Another story was that, see, like I said, Japanese wrestling fans are so reading-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. I even wondered as a kid, why couldn't Inoki ever challenge 
NWA World Heavyweight title if it was the greatest thing on earth. Right, right. You know, NWA World Heavyweight Championship at the time, like all through 60s and 70s, was the closest thing to undisputed world championship, huh? Must have been, yeah. yeah. It felt like the uh, unified uh, title for the, oh, for yeah, the world. Although, yeah, like. although there was AWA World Heavyweight Champion, Vern Gagne's championship in the Midwest, and there was always Bruno Sammartino's New York, you know, WWF title. But the NWA covered more of the area, you know, all Southern area, you know, to Puerto Rico, to Mexico, to, you know, like combine all kinds of different, not one company like AWA and WWF, but uh, AWA, uh, NWA, rather, NWA was a kind of an organization that uh, all the local promoters and different companies joined in a membership and recognize one world heavyweight champion and one traveling world heavyweight champion like Harley Race and Ric Flair will travel to a different territory that they all recognize common world champion, right? Mm. At the time, at the time. Then uh, John Powell was the NWA member. Therefore, all these, the Harley Race, uh, all the way to Ric Flair, uh, to Ricky Steamboat maybe, all the way, that uh, they would just come to all Japan. And I always wondered, why couldn't Inoki challenge that, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this guy, Inoki came up with, there was no such term as mixed martial arts then. No MMA. That, that word hasn't come, come around until like 1996, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the wrestler against boxer, wrestler against kickboxer, wrestler against karate fighter, all these things. It started with Inoki against William Rushka, who is, was who was a, a Holland Dutch uh, Olympic judo gold medal from Munich? That uh, he, the Ruska and Inoki had very first uh, mixed martial arts match. Inoki beat him, great. You know that was a work, of, of course. You know it was a pro wrestling match, but uh, uh, William Ruska had you know had the judo jacket on, and uh, he was on the net, you know, primetime network special program. You know, and uh, they made a big deal that the wrestler against judoka and then uh, Inoki beat him and that was the beginning of mixed martial arts method and the second match was Inoki against Ali and after that there was Inoki against Monster Man, Inoki against uh, Chuck Webner, the, all kinds from the next uh, all the way to like 1980 yeah I feel like you would never see something like that with all Japan no no not no really way, yeah. Baba against Boxer no no not really it was all kind of in the within the all japan nwa world yeah oh oh and then also another wrestler that i uh, i forgot to mention that the andre the giant was always under new japan contract okay mm-hmm. all through 70s you know and he worked heel new japan right. was the only place andre the giant ever worked heel because he was he was universally known as biggest baby face in america huh yeah and he, uh, yeah, he traveled and Montreal too. Yeah, yeah, and then he traveled territory to territory all year long. And every time Andre comes over to your town, that would be the biggest super event of the year. And usually, it's a battle royal, right? Yeah, he was like an attraction. Yeah, attraction. But uh, Andre the Giant had had the the, the contract, and you know, through Vince McMahon Senior, of course, that uh, he came to New Japan probably 10 to 12 weeks out of the year. You know, that's a long time, right? Didn't he wrestle for international wrestling? 
before initially, initially, mm-hmm. before he became under the giant, he was Monster Rushmuff, just ah. being yeah, just being discovered in Europe and through Montreal office, he came to IWE, yeah. Mm. But he didn't have under the giant mentality or personality yet, you know. No, no, no. He was just uh, a big guy, young big guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. this, you know, permed, big, huge permed hair, like Afro hair, that he became under the giant. And he was at attraction, like you and I said. Uh, he signed contract to New Japan, and Inoki decided to use him as big heel. So, uh, under the giant against Inoki was a big single match, always big single match. Andre worked heel. You should see Andre working heel. See, Andre didn't become heel in America until WrestleMania three in 1987 against Under the Giant. I mean, against Hulk Hogan, right? That's right. Yeah, under Bobby Heenan and all these things, a big six-month storyline. But uh, basically, all through 70s into mid-80s, he was the biggest babyface type. But in Japan, Andre always worked heel. So therefore, Inoki against Andre was a big program, before I forgot. But uh, it's NWA thing. Yeah, it was like, how can you know Inoki ever challenge uh, NWA World Heavyweight title? Oh, wow, right? And... Inoki in New Japan applied for uh, NWA membership in 73 and 74, denied twice, you know? Mm, that political. Made, yeah, the Giant Baba and Dory Funk blocked them, basically. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but it was very, that the American promoters didn't understand the landscape of Japanese wrestling at the time either. Right, what? it was still new. It just happened. And also, why do they have two companies in such a small, you know, territory? They right, looked at right. they looked at Japan as a one territory, like a California size. That's right. Yeah, oh, the a size of people. California. Yeah, and uh, but uh, eventually they studied, and uh, they, but the both guys, you know, Kimbaba, that was equally big, and they both have network television. They got big budget and all these things, and eventually people like. Mike LaBelle from from LA, Eddie Graham from Tampa, Florida, uh, Don Owen from Oregon, you know, started helping Inoki out too, eventually, eventually, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, it was like America, when it comes to American promoters and connection, it was like Baba's Monopoly, you know. Right. But he didn't, Inoki didn't really care all that much. He started mixed martial arts thing. He was probably bigger and better than uh, chasing NWA title, huh? He had his own vision of what uh, what he thought pro wrestling was and what it should be. Yeah, and then eventually that will all go into the IWGP project. Right. Yeah, but another subject for another day. Yeah, and he starts 1980 and took three years to have very first inaugural IWGP tournament. It wasn't a championship belt yet. It was a tournament, you know, mm-hmm. like a round robin tournament. And it took them three years like, of, of making, and it was a big thing. But let's go into IWGP project drama a little bit later on. But uh, today we talk about this 1972 dynamic. I'm hoping that uh, you get the big picture of it. Yeah, because it still connects to to everything today, especially yeah, when I you think see so. New yeah. Japan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah. All Japan to- is a little more complicated. They're, 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 what happened? Well, but the- today's New Japan is not exactly Antonio Noki's New Japan. He sold that. That's company. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but somebody like, you know, Katsuyori Shibata is the trainer. And around the time that, uh, oh, New that, Japan that, yeah, started, his, his father, uh, that, uh, his father was one of the first wrestlers who joined Inoki. He mm-hmm. was in Mexico mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. And they would team up on the early yeah, shows. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, Inoki didn't have enough guys, you know? So, there, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, I think Fujiwara was was there too. Fujiwara uh, didn't, yeah, he was a rookie then, rookie. Mm, yeah. He was not part of Nippon Pro Wrestling, you know? But uh, he came from Iwate and looking for, um, looking for the, you know, for the way to become professional wrestler. And when Inoki opened it, they got, that's the company he wanted to work. And, uh, yeah, he came to Dojo and joined, you know? And um, that's why he met Korogachi. In the dojo, you know. So I think we could say that 1972 is really the, you know, it's not where Japanese pro wrestling started, but what we see today, I think, the the starting yeah, it's point. It's like a modern day revolution happened. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like you know, people. We all know that the WWF didn't start at WrestleMania three with Hogan and Andre, but a lot of people view it like that. You know what ah, I mean? Ah, right. It's right. not the real start, but it's a definitely a, a, a launch point for what we saw in the night. Oh, the, pay, 80s, the, the 90s. first major pay-per-view, you know, they still had the closed circuit and all that. And not every household had a access to pay-per-view in 1987 yet, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and also it was the very first stadium show that, uh, that uh, WrestleMania had. Mm. Yeah. yeah that, different, uh, different uh, storyline that follows in America. And also that's how, you know, a lot of the general audience remember how Hogan became your biggest superstar by pinning under the giant one, two, three, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but the WrestleMania one was two years before that, you know? 1985. Right. Yeah, 1985, very first annual WrestleMania was at the Madison Square Garden, the Hulk Hogan and Mr. T against Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. And then people hated the idea at the time. And it's yeah. interesting that around this point is also when New Japan and WWF kind of cut their uh, ties. You, uh, cut their ties, meaning that uh, 85 was a time, yeah, the, the year that, that the, they both cut ties with each other because Vince McMahon stopped sending Americans over, you know? Mm, Hogan got really and big. Yeah, really yeah. Uh, technically, even after WWE, he won the WWE title that uh, January, January of 1984 beating Iron Sheik, mm-hmm. he came back to New Japan three or four more times after that, you know, and then still wearing a black, you know, black uh, that the trunks with silver boots saying Ichiban on it, you know, mm-hmm. so he was still willing to travel back and forth, but it was, Vince McMahon said, we got uh, not sending any Americans to New Japan from at this point, you know, you know, forward. And everybody stopped coming over, like your Adrian Adonis or Bob Orton or Paul Orndorff or, you know, all these guys were regular with New Japan in the early 80s. So from that point, did Inoki stop using as many foreign talent? Did it become more uh-huh, of a Japanese uh-huh. versus Japanese? You, you discovered King Kong Bundy. Well, mm. it was stolen by WWE right away. But the, you had your, um, oh, the, signed the deal with uh, world-class Dallas. 
So you had the Kerry Van Erick and Kevin Van Erick start coming over. And you, Stan Hansen? No, Stan Hansen already with All Japan. Okay, so... The, as oh, of 81. As of 82. As of 81. As of 81, 82. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the 85, they signed Bruza Brody. You mm. still had Dick Murdoch. Yeah. And they had these guys like uh, Kongada Barbarian, Shioni, you know, who later mm-hmm. on became WWE version of Powers of Pain. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, a lot of the, the, the not so famous uh, Americans who had potential, like Kokina, who was New Japan regular. Kokina was later on Yokozuna, right? Mm, and Bam, right. young Bam Bam Bigelow was regular with New Japan. You know, a lot of, lot, of, lot of the guys were still, I mean, we always had American, you know. Crusher, Bam Bam Bigelow, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I referred yeah. to him yeah. as. Why Crusher, right? Yeah. I think it's a pretty long name already, but yeah, Crusher, yeah. okay. Crusher, <laughs> yeah, but I never put it, you know, because he was like a, Bam Bam Bigelow himself didn't even like it that much, you know. Crusher. <laughs> but the reason was, though, his name was Crusher Yakov with Dallas, you know. Ah, okay. Yeah, he, so he, a... he briefly worked for Von Erich's world class, you know, right before he came to New Japan for the first time. And Crusher Yorkov, and eh, nah, that's like almost like a Russian, like a fake Russian name. He, he never liked it, you know. But uh, yeah. And also that was around the time young Steve Williams was brought in to New Japan. Oh. Yeah. So a lot of guys who are being this young, let on huge big star in eight, late 80s and 90s, but rather kind of young guys in mid 80s, they were brought to New Japan, like young Rick Steiner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you maybe see more international superstars in all Japan where you might see more young talent. No, no, no. All these young Rick Steiner, young Steve Williams, they all came to New Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Initially. Right. And Kerry right, Von right. Erich, Kerry Von Erich and Kevin Von Erich in their prime, they came to New Japan. Yeah. So yeah, I guess for 1972, by the end of it, by the by December, was uh, were both companies fully established? Was the was it uh, on Inoki's, from there? Inoki's company wasn't doing well in 1972. No television, nothing. They did Inoki against Karagat single match four times. You know because. They didn't come up with any other, you know. Then Sakaguchi and his group joined New Japan in March of 1973, and television started. And now network budget coming in, and uh, Mike LaBelle from LA start helping, and uh, LA wrestlers start coming over, and then it started looking like your network network show. And mm-hmm. 1973 was also the year Taiga Jit Singh started working and there was a the big pro like a big angle he had this t- big tar- indian tar band on and suit and ties and, and sitting in uh sitting in the front seat and then rush into you know ring from the crowd and start destroying everybody that was the debut of tiger jit singh that was a big deal hmm. did you He's know going that, in a different direction uh actually the heel uh super baby his inoki and Superheel Tiger Jit Singh was the simplest, but the formula that would work on television is the best. Hmm. Easy so to understand. Like, yeah, bad guy and good guy. You know, the, the one clearly. Yeah, and then Channel 4 already started Baba and Abdul the Butcher program every week. 
you know? So it is a kind of the same, uh, like you said, we were talking the about mirror, earlier. Yeah. You have mirror, mirror versions of it. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But, but Inoki mania, Inoki fan always felt that Inoki's wrestling is real and Baba wasn't. <laughs> mm. It's still That's kind of uh, that feeling. It's still a feeling. It is with it splits fans. I think even still. Yeah, yeah. Because whomever loved Inoki will always love Inoki the best. But whomever loved all Japan and Baba's style of philosophy of wrestling, they would support all Japan. And all Japan is the type of the company your grandpa was watching, you watching, your sons watching, the, the kids, grandchildren are watching. And Stan was saying that the. Uh, in like in like mid to late in nineties, Stan Hansen said, "I've seen three generations of fans in front of me." You know, yeah. yeah. All Japan felt more traditional. It's more the pastime of wrestling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like you want to go and watch wrestling on Sunday afternoon or something. The great mm -hmm. time. Yeah. New Japan has more of an action movie feel. Anything could happen. Ah, uh, like a Japanese movie. Mm. Whereas. Mm. All Japan had this Hollywood movie type. Feeling. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, real actor from like a real superstar from America works just like what you expect, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. They didn't put soy sauce on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because New Japan, they bring in all kinds of superstars. They pour soy sauce all over it before you eat it, you know? That's a good way. I like, the, I like that analogy. But yeah. some people do that, is. don't they? Oh, yeah. I've seen it. It's, I don't, you know, I don't know. It, it, I have no explanations for that. We're all we're all different, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. But you know, like you go to a Japanese restaurant and you expect, you know, some American people just start pouring all soy sauce on every single thing. Yeah, like it's ketchup. And no, as it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it was like I I feel that I was fortunate to be able to watch, being able to watch, you know, two different programs growing up. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever going to be like that again ever. I mean. Uh, if who knows during the you know Monday Night War you know that everybody experienced, but it's already twenty years ago, huh? Right, right. More than twenty years ago, over twenty years. Ago. But the WWF at the time and WCW, that they became two major league war because WCW became more WWFish, right? Yes, and By TV and television, and, weekly television, yeah. and having Hulk Hogan and his guys. Mm -hmm. you know? They had money too. They had cash. Yeah, yeah. But the real WCW or more NWA descent, it should have more Southern feeling. You know? Right. Yeah. Muddy feeling. But if you were too Southern, it wouldn't be good for national television, huh? That was the thought. That was the thought by people like Eric Bischoff. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was different. Yeah, because NWA was very Southern to begin with, you know? Yeah, oh, that's where it was based out of. I mean, yeah, that's, that was the, yeah, was a little Georgia, grittier. Atlanta, the North Carolina, the South Carolina, the West Virginia, the Florida, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah NWA was pretty south, you know. Mm, it had a, a different flavor to it. I think WWE. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, up in uh, New York, it was like um, more. It was similar to like a, a big boxing match. It had. It was trying to be a show, a spectacle, like with prestige. Yeah, and then a lot of squash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of that too. Kind of a simple oh, template. No, if you went to like a Poughkeepsie, New York's TV taping that lasts like seven hours, mm -hmm. <laughs> and just squash after squash after squash after squash. It's like, how many more hours is it going to be? You know, and then there's some interviews, you know, 
Oh sure. my God. I, I've been there and it's like, a, well, I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy this, you know, because I've, this might be the you know first time and last time that I'll be sitting in a, you know five weeks worth of taping, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the NWA you wouldn't you would have more competitive uh, wrestling. Yeah, 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 and they have more television show too. Not just all American wrestling and superstars, but you had the spotlight and uh, the, the B shows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people in the eighties and nineties, a lot of wrestling fans from the United States when when they came out with satellite dishes a lot of start watching other wrestling yeah yeah and and taping everything and you you could really at points i'm sure especially down in maybe the georgia or south area you can get georgia you can get florida and mid-atlantic and whatever's happening yeah yeah Uh, oh in early 80s to like mid 80s i was dying to get those tapes you know (laughs) so you were an uh AWA territory around then? Uh, up until 84, yes. Yeah, but I went home, you know, and started working for magazine in January, January of 85. So uh, that's when I had both beta, you know, video dick and, you know, the, the beta and VHS, both. <laughs> we never had beta. Beta didn't kick off. I mean, it's, we had it, but I don't think it kicked off like it did in Japan. Right, but uh, eventually, a couple of years later, Everything became VHS. Oh my gosh. That's right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting. Very interesting. And in the 90s, you know, overnight it became DVD and uh, all of a sudden VHS tape was like yesterday's news. That was scary. You know? And now DVDs are going to, you know, I think so. Now. You have to download it or like everything's going to be streaming live or something, right? Mm. And you don't even buy CD music anymore. I, I do, but kids, today's kids don't. I think in Japan, it's definitely more common still. You definitely have the big shops like Tutaya where you can rent the CDs. That's still common. Oh, I think. oh we have Tower Records also still. Tower Rec- That's the only Tower Records in the world still. I think that's around. Oh, that's really? Like, really? Oh, th- Oh, they're gone. Oh, I did that, not know that. Tower, I yeah. got Tower Records in New York, Tower Records in LA and all those things. No, I, they have the big ones, but, you know, it used to be a common Yeah, and uh, every store. single shopping mall. It's kind of like, you know how Sizzler used to be common in the United States right. and it's still I around in Japan. Big it's Buy or Radio Shock and all these things are completely gone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've either gotten bought out by other companies yeah. or... or, or oh, just... for that matter, Toys R Us, all these things are gone. Mm, yeah. yeah. But I think they're still in Japan. I know there's a Toys R Us in Kamado. In, yeah, in and then I think Babies R Us is still around. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so some but, some of these companies yeah. survive in other countries like Japan, it seems like. Well, nothing gets old in Japan is what they say. <laughs> 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 like, you know, like a doo-wop music. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's it fits the context no matter what uh, year it is. Yeah, there's, 1972, there's like 2021. Live, live, yeah, live music bar only plays 50, 50s and 60s do up here, you know, twist and shout, mm. you know, stuff like that. But anyhow, that I'm hoping that the uh, older fans, like a little older fans, enjoyed our nine, year 1972 thing. But uh, I was hoping that the, this could be a little bit educational for big picture understanding for the younger fans. And it, it's clear too because you know I'm history hoping. gets pretty messy. After I, that, I think, yeah. yeah I, well, I, you know, history uh, it just gets a little more complicated, and especially when 
a lot of the information is still well, yeah, just in Japanese. It's like a college class, so we can go over one more time too. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you know what? I'm sure we're gonna hit on it with uh, when we hit other topics. You know, we still have to talk about yeah, because we by, by talking about NWA, we we had to touch upon how Inoki's version of mixed martial arts came about. You know. Mm. And, uh, and how this Inoki Muhammad Ali was such a big impact at the time, laugh, laughing stock. But at the time that uh, we didn't know how big of an impact it really was until 40 years later, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, 30, 40 years later after that fight, it, it became a whole different. I mean, it was it was a whole different chapter of pro wrestling in Japan. Yeah, I think actually. so. I think so. And also um, they test the technology of broadcasting a live card from Japan into America, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of things is historical. Yeah, seventy-two is a good starting point if you're interested in this. I think. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, and then also, like you said, that uh, we did stand, we did jumbo tsura, we did tenru. So let's uh, next couple episode we let's do uh, uh, new Japan oriented you know topics. Hmm. Okay, yeah. that sounds good. Yeah. All right. We can talk about the birth of Japanese style junior heavyweight. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. From Tatsumi Fujinami to your tiger, you know, original tiger mask to all the way to Liger and to all the way to Hiromu Takahashi or something. Yeah. And, you know, earlier this year we covered, uh, we did a long showcase on Keiji Muto. Yeah. But um, he along, he had uh, two other friends three, along yeah, his three way. Musketeer, three Musketeers. Shinya Hashimoto and Masa Chono. Yeah. Let's do that one. I think those are also really interesting. Both have very different paths, but they're also for the nineties. It's extremely important. I think. Yeah. Extremely important. And also it's almost like ironic that uh, when NW national wrestling Alliance, NWA wasn't what, what it used to be. It became new Japan's, you know, right. yeah. products that, that, that Ric Flair gold belt was brought into Japan and Masachono won the second annual G1 Climax tournament and winning NWA World Heavyweight Championship beating Ric Flair of all things. That was yeah. very confusing as a fan. Wasn't I remember, see, well, I saw it on TV and it was the same exact belt, but they didn't do, they didn't really explain it in detail. Yeah, and all of a sudden it's a, there's a WCW World Heavyweight title and NWA World Heavyweight title and it's looking like the same belt and it's a Ric Flair model, we call it. And uh, it was confusing, wasn't it? In early and that same year, uh, Flair showed up on WWF TV with the same belt. <laughs> so that yeah. image, in my mind, 92 is a very specific year because that belt was on TV a lot. Yeah, version of yeah, it. yeah. Okay, let's go over early 90s. Yeah. Mm, okay, uh, so that's when New Japan made made the the, the sign the deal with that version of WCW. Yeah, D- different. Uh, it, the NWA lineage that legacy seems to eighty eight seems that that's done sort of. Yeah, with, but uh, they the used the title championship NWA for a while. If you remember, mm. Ric Flair against very first Sting program, they were calling it still NWA World Heavyweight Title. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So very confusing, huh? Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, but hopefully it's uh, clears it up. We we can clear it up on these shows. I hope. <laughs> All those things are like thirty years, you know, thirty years old. And then we talked about things that ha- that happened what almost fifty years ago, you know. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> we we see the same patterns, especially right now. The dressing is really changing. So I, it's yeah. I think it's interesting to pick picture, out those patterns. Big picture thing is important, you know, to better understand. You know. Yeah. And it's it's good to have you to explain it precisely because there's so many. It's hard to explain a lot of you know 
precise Japanese, uh, not just uh, like booklets uh, or, or text. Uh, yeah, basically, also, I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was there. I mean, yeah. that's another great thing too about wrestling, especially if you're living in Tokyo. I mean, it was more common, I feel like, to just go and see the shows. Yeah, yeah. To be a part of it. So having you there is a, to and feel also, those. Uh, 84, you know, from Minneapolis, 81 on, and back in Japan, 85 on. I was right there. Mm. Yeah. So uh, as a magazine reporter of Shukan Pro Wrestling, you know. So. so if people have questions for you, Fumi, how, how can they reach out to you online? Um, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. I will friend you, but please send me message uh, message on Messenger, Facebook facebook messenger first i'll reply right away and mm. anybody who just surprises i don't know who they are so sometimes i just kind of can't accept it you know mm. imagine if you were in uh it was face to face how would you uh, introduce yourself face to face with somebody send yeah, yourself hello a my name is so and so and, uh, nice to meet you and i like that yeah and i'm ju- at justin m nipper on twitter k-n-i-p-p-e-r that's if next time we're going to focus on some 90s business on write that down. So for today, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. All right. <laughs>